Hey, welcome to the Dad of a Dozen podcast. I'm your host, Doug H. Today I'll be talking about savings and investing, what the Bible has to say about those two topics. Some questions I have to ask you just to get started is, do you have a 401k plan at work? Are you contributing to it? Are you saving for your retirement? How about an emergency fund? And whose job is it to teach your children about handling money? Well, we're going to find out those answers to these questions today, so let's get into it. So what does the Bible say about savings? Well, let's see what the Bible says. Genesis 41, 34 through 36 reads this, Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers or overseers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of those good years, that are coming, and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So what is the Bible saying about savings here? This is what Pharaoh was collecting one-fifth of the produce of the land, because he was told that he was going to have seven years of plenty, and then he was going to have seven years of a famine. And so what he decided to do in the good seven years of plenty, he was going to take one-fifth of the produce and save it for the future because he knew that he wasn't going to get anything for seven years because there was going to be a famine in the land for seven years. So he reserved one-fifth of that produce for the future. So what is the Bible trying to teach us through this verse or verses? It says that I believe while you're able to make money, you should be putting some aside for the future. And just as they did in this case, there was going to be a famine. It was going to last for seven years. So they started saving a fifth of what was grown during the seven years of plenty. So jobs, our jobs don't last forever, do they? And that's why I believe it's important to have at least three to six months of living expenses in your savings. So that way, if something happens to your job, for instance, like me, I got was laid off from my job, so I don't have an income. But I had money put aside in my savings account, so that way, when that time came, I knew it was coming. They gave us plenty of warning, but when I knew it was coming, I put my money into a savings account, so that way, when the time came, I wouldn't have to go looking for a job right away because I had the money in the bank. And that's kind of what Pharaoh did here. He knew that it was coming, so he put money away. So are you putting money away into a savings account for your emergencies or for the what if? But that's what I believe where the Bible's talking about here in Genesis is that we need to put some away for the future. Also in Proverbs 21.20 says this, There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So according to this, we're to be wise and we're to save for the future because the foolish man squanders everything he gets. As soon as it comes into his hand, he spends it on whatever. But we're not to be that way. We're not to, to be foolish. We're to be wise. So we need to save for our future. And Proverbs 30, verse 24 through 25 reads this. There are four things which are little on the earth, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. And again, we are reminded to save while we are able to and while the funds are still coming in. Because there will come a time in your life when you won't be able to earn money 
like you once did. There's just going to come a time when you're not going to be able to do it. So the Bible encourages, and it also teaches us, to save for the future. And this would include having money set aside for emergencies, at least $1,000, and then eventually going up to three months living expenses, just as it says that in step three of the crown money map. Okay, so there's the Bible, talks about saving. So being a good steward, as we've been talking about stewardship, this is one of them, is to save for your future. And so with that in mind, there's a story in the Bible, and it's about a rich man, and the Lord calls this rich man a fool. And let me read part of this story to you, and then I'll explain what the, the whole gist of this story is about. This, you can find it in Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, this guy, the reason the Lord called him a fool was because he was looking out for himself and not the Lord or the Lord's work. He thought his possessions were more valuable than God. And remember that everything that we have, God has given it to us. It's not really ours in the first place. And our focus should be on God and his will instead of our own. And the rich fool should have been given the excess crops to the poor of the land. And his heart was in his treasures and not toward God. It reminds me of another story about a rich kid unwilling to sell his possessions and follow Christ. And that's in Matthew 19. I'm going to read that for you because I, I, it goes right along with this rich fool that uh, the Lord called a fool. It says in verse uh, 16, chapter 19 of Matthew, it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Again, this kid in this story, in this parable that Jesus was telling, he valued his possessions 
more than Christ. So my question to you is just so you can think about this is where is your treasure? Is it in the things of God or is it in your earthly riches? And if it's in the first, if it's in the things of, excuse me, if it's in the second one, your earthly riches, well, I think we need to evaluate and take them off of the earthly riches and put them on God. And let's not be a fool like the first guy where he tore down his barns and made them bigger so he could put all of his stuff in there rather than just giving his excess to the poor. And I think we need to do the same thing. We need to look out for those, one, obviously in our family, but also for those that are outside of our home that need it. So we can learn a lot from the Bible. And why did the Lord call this rich man a fool? Because he looked to his possessions more than he did God. And I hope that some of us do the same thing, aren't doing the same thing. I think we should be trusting God more than we are our possessions. And then also the Bible. What, what kind of principles, investment principles, can we learn from the Bible? I know we all think the Bible is all about salvation, which it is. It's about salvation, how we can be saved from our sin and who saves us from our sin. But also there's some investment principles that we can we can glean from the Bible as well. So let, let me just give you a few of these. Proverbs 21.5, The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty, but those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. So basically it's saying to make a plan to save a little at a time over a long period of time. Brings me back to that steady plotting brings prosperity a little bit over time. And we're making a plan. You have to have a plan to save money. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare your outside work. Make it fit for yourself in the field. And afterward, build your house. So have a means of producing some sort of income before you go and buy a home. Okay, so before you buy a home, you should have a job that's paying you the money to be able to pay the mortgage. And then also it's talking about preparing for your future when you retire. Because once you retire, then you'll be ready for your next stage of life. You know what I'm saying? So prepare your outside work first, make it fit for yourself in the field, then afterward build your house. And there's nothing more embarrassing than starting to build a home and then you don't have the money to finish it. And all you have is a foundation, maybe some walls. And that's kind of embarrassing. Thinking, yeah, I'm going to build this big home, but you don't have the funds to do it. Because you didn't plan ahead. You didn't save. And then also, how about this? You get into the home, but then you're not able to keep the home because you can't afford the payments. That's just as embarrassing thinking, oh, I can do this, but then something happens and you don't have the money to do it, then you lose it. I don't know. It just seems to be embarrassing. But we need to prepare our outside work first, and then we go and build our home. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24 reads this, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds, for riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. So basically, you need to know how your investments are doing. And if they're not doing very well, then we need to change things up and make sure that we're putting them into a vehicle that's going to be making us money for our future rather than losing money for our future. All right, so we need to know the state of our, our flocks. 
And Ecclesiastes 11.2 says, Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days, giving a servant to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. So you've heard it said, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's what this is telling you. Just don't go put your money in one big thing. Diversify. Diversify. That's the big word. Diversify. Have a variety of options for your money. If, I mean, this is, if this is new to you, then this is great because you don't just put it in one thing. You put it in several things. Examples. You can put some in stocks. You can put some in bonds or mutual funds or CDs or real estate. These are just some of the areas that you can put your money into. I call them vehicles. You can just put your money in this one vehicle, which would be, say, bonds. And then that's the money that you would continue to earn interest on. So if one tanks or goes belly up, then you have other baskets to choose from and you have not lost your shirt or your entire savings. I have heard of lots of people who through the stock market have lost everything because they've put all their eggs in one basket. They weren't diversified. If they were diversified, they'd be okay because if one area of your portfolio starts going low and you have other investments, then some of those other investments may increase. So you're not losing everything. I mean, that's the key. We don't want to lose money. We want to make sure that we have enough money for our retirement age. And usually it's 65. And, and if you are able to put more into a savings account, maybe you can retire earlier than that. So don't put all your eggs in one basket. Diversify. That's a key. Diversify. And the fundamental principle to practice to become a successful investor is spend less than you earn, then save and invest the difference over a long period of time. Again, it's the long game. Investing is a long game. It's not a short game. It's not a get-quick-rich quick, scheme. It's over a long period of time. Think of investing money as like a bread maker, okay? Kind of a weird analogy, but just go with me, and hopefully it'll clear it up for you. So you put all the ingredients to make bread into this bread machine. You set the temperature, and then you forget about it. And then before you know it, over... I don't know how long, I don't, I've never had a bread maker, but I've seen it. My kids have had bread makers. I've seen them use it. And I don't know how long it takes, but you just put all the ingredients in. And then before you know it, you've got bread. And the rich people, really, the rich, those that have money in their investments, they don't look at their investments every single day. They usually look at them once to two times a year, and then they make the adjustments accordingly. Kind of interesting, huh? that they don't look at them every single day. I remember we bought a, I bought a stock for our family and I watched it every single day and I got tired of it. And I, I saw that it was losing. And so I decided, uh, I'm gonna cut my losses after a year. Well, I should have kept that money because it went double than what it was when I sold. And yeah, that's a sore subject and I don't wanna talk about it. But anyway, remember investing is a long-term plan and it's not a get rich scheme. I keep saying that because it's true because a lot of people think, oh, I can invest. I can make all this money. It's like the lottery. I'm going to win the lottery. No, it's not that. It's an over a long period of time because we're looking for the future for when I go and retire. Okay. And here's just a couple, couple other thoughts on, on investing. There's this thing called compound interest and we want compound interest to work for you. 
Basically what it means is that when you receive interest on an investment, you reinvest that interest and then your rate of return is on the new amount. I've written out this example for you so that way you can understand what I'm talking about when it comes to compound interest. And the numbers that I'm going to be giving you are fictitious, but they're just here so that way you can understand the, the concept of compound interest. So we're going to invest $1,000 for the next five years. And like I said, to make it easy, it's just going to be 10% interest. Each year we're going to get 10% on our return. So we start with $1,000 and over that year we get $100 in interest. So we reinvest that money and now we have $1,100 to invest. So we throw in a, another $1,000 to the 1100 that we already have and that's a total of 2100 bucks. Again, you get 10% interest off that, that's $210 in interest. So now we have a total of 2310 in our portfolio. Now we add another $1,000 to it and that leaves us with 3310 in our investment. We get 10% return. We get 331 bucks for a new grand total of 3620. Now we throw another $1000 to it for our fourth year, and now we have a total of 4620, which is $462 in interest for our grand total in our portfolio of 5082 bucks. Remember, you start with $1000. Now, for the fifth year, we're going to throw in another 1000. That puts us up to $6,082, and we earn 10% interest off of that, and that's $608 of interest. And now, after five years of gaining 10% each year, you have a grand total of $6,608, and you started with a $1,000 investment. In five years, you gained $1,000. $711 in interest. That's compounding. That's a compounding interest. Now, if you didn't reinvest those funds, you would only have made $500 in interest. So, you compounded your money by $1,211 by compounding interest. That's how you get rich or richer, is compounding interest. So, that's what I want to talk about when it comes to compounding interest. We want our money to work for us and that's what that's the concept. Obviously, you're not going to see a 10% return on your money. Maybe you will in the stock market, but if you wanted to put it into a savings account or a CD, you're not going to see those types of numbers. But I only did that so that way you can see what compounding interest will do for your money. And one more thing I just want to talk about when it comes to investing. Investing is all about how much time you have to invest and then the risk that you want to take. And for example, here we go. An 18-year-old kid has, prox has approximately about 45 years before they can retire. Okay? So they can risk money in the market. They can put it in a high-risk investment because if they were to lose it, they have a long time to gain back their losses. And so they might invest in individual stocks. They might invest in mutual funds or real estate because they're young. They have a long time to go to invest and to recoup some of those losses. Because you know, when you put money in the stock market, you're probably going to lose some money because the, the market goes up and down, up and down. Trust me, I've lost money in the stock market many of times.
And so when you are young, you have the opportunity to make it back because you have all that time. Now, if you're an older person and you're nearing retirement or you are in retirement, you may want to place some of your funds into a low risk investment, such as a money market or CDs or treasury bills, because you don't want to lose those funds because you spent all that time earning them and putting them away for the future. Now the future is now, so you can start using them. And you're not going to be gaining a lot of money, but you're not losing it either because you're going to need that money to live off of, right? And so usually some of these returns are about 3% annually. You get about 3% per year. But I was just looking it up now on money markets and CDs. And right now in the economy that we have, we're not even making 1% on your money. So why would you even want to go that direction? You may just want to leave it in the stock market and then go and buy these stocks that are low risk, which means you'll gain some interest and you're, you're not going to lose them. But if you're an older person, that's what you want to do. You want to put your money into these low risk investments. So you're not going to lose your, your retirement. And of, of course, if you're somewhere in the middle, you can have investments in both low and high. And a lot of these are like government bonds and corporate bonds. And these are set interest rates and they, they pay you the interest every six months. And that's a good way of going. Granted, you're not going to be getting cost of livings and whatnot, but at least you know that you're going to be receiving that interest. And so those are just a little, a little information on some investing about compounding interest and then the time that you have to, to invest. And there's some good books out there to read about money and investing. And I'm just going to list a few of them that we've read, that we've applied to uh, our investments, and it's helped us. Uh, one book's called Your Money Counts by Howard Dayton. The other one is Your Money or Your Life by Joe Dominguez and Vicki Robin. And uh, the next one is The Millionaire Next Door by Thomas Stanley and William Danko. Really good books. That one's a really an eye-opener about The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, I won't get into it. I'll let you read it for yourself. And then any, in my opinion, this is my opinion, any book by the late Larry Briquette is excellent on finances, especially when it comes to what the Bible has to say about the finances. Great books. These are just some of the few. I'm sure there's a lot more out there. There's other people out there that have written uh, good books on, on investing, but these are the ones that my wife and I have picked up and we've read and, and that they're in our library. And so just something for you to peruse and think about. But uh, that's what we can learn about investing from the Bible and just some of my opinion. And so with that being said, I'm going to talk about parents now. Should we as parents, if you have children, should we attempt to leave material inheritance to our children? Hmm. Good question, huh? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. Genesis 24, 35 through 36 reads this. The Lord has blessed my master, Abraham, greatly. And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants, and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore his son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. So what are you leaving for your children when you pass away? Are you giving them an inheritance? Or are you leaving them your bills because of the debt that you have accumulated? What are you doing? Are you leaving it for them? Or are you giving them some inheritance. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. 
And obviously, as believers, we should be attempting to leave something for our children, and not just our children. It says here, children's children, but as well as to our grandchildren. Have you, have you thought about that, about saving something for your grandchildren? That's why being out of debt and handling money God's way is so important, because it allows us to be free so we can leave an inheritance to our children and even our grandchildren. Now, they're, they're talking about money and property. That's what they're talking about, leaves an inheritance to his children's children. But I believe the most important inheritance that a parent can leave for their children is teaching them the word of God and their salvation, because their salvation is more important than money and things. Because if they don't accept Jesus as their Savior, then they will not enter into heaven. And so that's why I believe is the most important inheritance a parent can leave is the salvation of their children, to teach and train their children the Word of God on how to be saved how to live by moral convictions, and how to be more like Christ every single day. That's the most important one, in my opinion. And then, last question is, whose responsibility is it for teaching children how to handle money from a biblical perspective? Deuteronomy 6, 6-7 through says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. It's ultimately the parent's responsibility to teach and train your children in biblical finances. It's just as important to teach them the word of God, but it's also important to teach them about handling their finances properly. So, it's important for parents to be studying the Word of God so they can teach it to their children. It's, all, it's, it's so important that, the, that, one, the parents know the Word of God. They're reading it themselves. But it's also important that they're reading books about how to handle money God's way and how to live lives that are in God's plan and not their own plan. And because I'm telling you, it's not the church's job to do it. It's not the school's job to do it or anyone else's job. It's you the parents responsibility it's your job to teach them it's your job to teach them proverbs 22 6 says train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it so start planting those seeds early god's word in their hearts early so when they mature they will not depart from it and then they will produce good fruit Okay, this is some of the ways that our family has, has in, implanted the Word of God into our children's heart and into their mind was by sword drills. I said it earlier in one of the earlier podcasts, but the Word of God is our sword. And we do sword drills at the house where what we'll do sometimes before Bible is we will have the children take their sword, which is the Bible, and hold it up above their head. And they can't have it down in front of them, and it's above their head. And then I give them a Bible verse, and then I say, charge. And then what they have to do is they have to go into the Bible and find it. And usually the first one that gets it, I'll throw them a little treat. 
And then sometimes we don't throw them treats. We just say, hey, you need to know this stuff. And then we'll say, okay, let's do it again. Back up at the top. And we have every kid that can read, do it. So all the way down from our seven-year-old all the way up to our 16-year-old. They're at our, they're at Bible and they do sword drills. And they're always asking me, hey, dad, can you do sword drills with us? Because they love doing it. It's a competition to see which kid can get there first. And you know what, parents? I think it's a good idea for you to even do do sword drills. Have one of your kids say, hey, check this Bible verse out. And then you play along with your kids to see if you can get there faster than they can. You'll be surprised how fast these kids can can get and find these, these um, scriptures. Next, we read the Bible. Like I said, we read the Bible every day. We uh, uh, read through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in one year. And it's three chapters, usually about three chapters a day. And then what we try to do is we try to read a proverb a day that go, corresponds with the day. So if it's the fourth, we read Proverbs 4 and so forth. But read it. Get it into them. And even our three-year-old sits and listens to Bible when, when they're three. When they're little, they sit and listen to it. Well, all we're doing is we're planting a seed, and then one day that seed will be watered by someone else, by a pastor, a youth person, and then that seed will grow into fruit. And that's our job, is just to plant the seeds. And then we also like to do Bible trivia. We have a bunch of Bible trivia cards. And so what we do is we'll read Bible trivia cards and ask them a question. If they know the answer, then they get a treat. It's pretty simple. We like giving treats at our, our house. And you'll be surprised how many cards you go through and you, you read it and go, um, I didn't even know that answer. So you as a parent learn as well. And I tell you, I think the kids learn a lot more from Bible trivia than they would just by reading the word. So think about that. Try to find yourself a nice Bible trivia game and just read the cards. You don't have to play the game on the board, just, just the cards. And then if you really want to get into to that, maybe you just, you just tell kids, hey, let's make our own Bible trivia. I'm going to give you a chapter, come up with 10 questions, and then we'll print them out and see if people can find them. Because we did that in our family. We did the entire Bible one summer. We assigned each kid. We started in Genesis, and we gave each kid a chapter and said, come up with 10 questions. And then mom and I did the same thing. And mom and I would read the, the questions, make sure they were legitimate questions and the answers were correct. And we typed them out, printed them out, and we had them for all 66 books of the Bible. And so then what we would do is we'd read the, read the chapter and then we'd say, here's the questions, see if you can find them. And that really got all of us, our minds right with the Bible because we had to come up with the questions. And then we got to know the Bible too because we knew which books, the chapters, and that's a great way to learn the Bible as well. Anyway, Ephesians 6, 4 says this, And you, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So ultimately, dads, it's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to teach your children the Word of God. Don't neglect that important calling, dads, in teaching your children about the Word of God. Don't let your, don't put it on your wife. She's got plenty of other responsibilities that God has given her. But dads, it's your responsibility to get your kids in the Word of God and to teach them the Word of God. But you can't teach something that you don't know if you're not reading it every day, right? You can't. So dads, I'm asking you, open the Bible and read it. Read it on your lunch breaks. Read it before you go to bed. 
just read it. So that way you can teach and train your children in righteousness. So that way when they grow old, they will not depart from the word of God. Because that's the most important part, is them growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And their salvation, I'm telling you, their salvation is the most important thing. So dads, please don't drop the ball in this area. Don't drop the ball in this area. Be in the word of God and teach them to your children. And one other thing before I finish this saving and investing deal. When you think of investing in savings, does a will come to your mind? What I mean by a will is something that's written that when you die, what's going to happen to your property? What's going to happen to your, your money? So here's some questions that I just want to, you to think about. There's just a few questions. It's not a lot, just, just a few. Who will, carry, who will care sorry, for your minor children? So if you have minor children in the house, who's going to care for them? Is it going to be an older sibling? Is it going to be a grandparent? Is it going to be an aunt or an uncle? Mm, tough question, huh? Have you even thought about that? I'll tell you, before we, before we went to have our will done, I don't know if I even thought about some of these questions because, you know, we never look toward the end when, I, when you die. We're just thinking about the now. I'm living for today, maybe even tomorrow or maybe next week, but I'm not looking to the end when I pass away. So who's going to care for your children? How about what will happen to your property, your house, your cars, your money? All your personal effects, your wedding ring, who's going to get your wedding ring? Are you going to just let the kids fight over it and whoever wins gets the ring? But no, a will, you write that down saying, my ring goes to so-and-so. Okay, how about this one? What do you want done with your body? Do you want to be cremated? Do you want to, be, want to have a burial? And if you want to be cremated, where do you want your ashes to be left do you want them left on a mantle do you want them put out in the woods somewhere what do you want done again these are the questions that you're going to have to answer for your will and i'm telling you they're going to ask you a lot more and i was my eyes were open when we went to our attorney and he asked us questions that i never really thought about and i went to him i said you know what you're gonna to have to give us some time we're gonna to have to go home and talk about these because we really haven't thought about it and i just don't want to give you an answer right now to put in my will so i will Give me a list of these questions so then that way I can take them home. My wife and I can sit and talk about them and then we can write them out. And then when we bring it back to you, our will will be that much more thorough. So these are, these are the things that you have to think about a will. So, but by having a will made up, you will help your loved ones emotionally because you have a written plan on what to do with your estate when you pass. There's nothing worse than trying to figure out what to do with your loved one or with the loved one's items, their personal belongings, when they pass. Because you're not thinking right. You're not in your right mind once you lose a loved one. You're not thinking about what am I going to do with their car, or their ring, or this, or that, or the other thing. You're just thinking about the loss that you just had by your husband or your wife losing them so when you have it written down now all they have to do is go to the written plan and say this is what he wanted done and then it can be done and it takes away that stress from them uh, this takes away their stress so if you don't have a will already what i would suggest that you do is you check with an attorney in your area and you get one completed 
and they usually cost a couple hundred bucks. That's what it did for us when we had ours together, but that's been a long time. But I'm telling you, it's worth the expense. And I believe that you should at least put the money aside for that for a will because it's important that you have one done because, yeah, grand. I used to have the, the, the mentality of, I'm dead. Who cares? I'm, I don't have to worry about it. But you know what? That's the bad attitude to have because you still have your wife. Then you still have your kids to worry about. And so then having a will will help them in the end. So with that being said, that's all I got to talk about for saving and investing for today. But before I go, I want to talk about, I want to look at destination number six of the crown money map. If you've been following along with the podcast, we've been going over the crown money map, uh, road to true financial freedom. This is a, a money map that crown has come up with for financial freedom. And we've gone through the first five destinations. And now we want to talk about destination number six real quick. And that is paying off your home mortgage. Now that you've paid your home mortgage off, and hopefully if you started your children's education, their, their education is funded. And then look at that. You have a, an estate plan in order, a will. This is part of destination number six is having a will. So pay off your mortgage. Children's education is funded if that's what you want to do. And you have a, a will planned and ready to go for in case you pass away. Because eventually you will, unless the Lord comes back before then and takes us all home, you're going to pass away. So make sure you have an estate plan. And so that's destination number six. And then next time I'll talk about the final destination and then I'll rehash all the other ones. And then we'll go to the final destination, which is true financial freedom. Okay. So next time we will talk about perspective and contentment and eternity, an important topics to be talking about, looking to the hereafter. All right? So let me leave you with this quote. Steady plotting brings prosperity. Hasty speculation brings poverty. <laughs>